strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. How's this for a headline? Border Patrol to surpass one million migrant apprehensions just halfway into the fiscal year. Out of San Antonio, Texas, more than one million migrants have been apprehended crossing the U.S.-Mexico border illegally by Wednesday, just days before the six-month mark of the government's fiscal year, according to um, the head of the Border Patrol. It, it is a strong likelihood that we would have apprehended over one million individuals. That's Chief Raul Ortiz uh, told reporters at a briefing in San Antonio. Agents on the northern and southern and coastal borders have intercepted um, 993,000 people attempting to enter the United States unlawfully between the start of the fiscal year from October of 2020 and Tuesday. Um, so this is uh, pretty amazing stuff. Over the past 24 hours, more than 9,000 people have been encountered. The figure is astronomical compared to the 1,000 figure that the Obama Secretary of Homeland Security, Jay Johnson, once said would constitute a crisis. So Jay Johnson, who at the time was considered to be pretty, uh, pretty far left uh, in that job and said 1,000 people crossing the border at that, that, that would be a crisis, 9,000 happened, 9,000. So what are some of the solutions? What well, what can be done? Because we continue to talk about the problem. You know, Title 42 expires, which is a tool that's used by law enforcement to expedite the deportation of people. And it should. And, you know, it all depends on who you consider to be the victims here. And I think that's the way most political conversations end up. I'm not callous and I know a lot of immigrants and I I understand the plight of people that want to come to this country. I do. And I would love to be able to change the immigration system to make it easier for good people to come here and flourish. But what we can't do is compromise our sovereignty. We've got to shut the border down. And here, let's go in order of who the victims are here. The victims are, first of all, the people that are crossing the border legally for asylum. They're the victims. Because they are being trapped in a system that is so overwhelmed that their court date, which should be days, weeks, or maybe months at the most, is taking five years in some cases to have their case heard for the legitimate asylum claim that they're making. So 90% of these claims go uh, become unfounded. So the first victims are the people that are coming here legitimately and can't get a relief and can't get a judgment and can't get anything moving for years because of what's happened. Secondly, it's the people in our country that live along the border that have their 911 systems and they have the food banks because we are giving people, and I love this about who we are as Americans, people in border towns understand that this is a crisis created by our federal government and these are people that should not be here. But the key word is people. And when you're faced with it, like we heard from Jonathan Lines down in Yuma, when you're faced with it, And you see the human existence and you see small children and you see women. They brought them blankets. They brought them water. They 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 the food banks poured out food to them because food banks don't nor should they ever see borders. You know, a food bank's mission is not political. A food bank's mission is to feed. And so when they see hunger, that's what they that's what they focus on. And they should. We shouldn't ask We shouldn't ask charitable organizations to make decisions based on political views. 
We just shouldn't. It's like it's like asking a doctor in a hospital to make a judgment on whether or not they're going to treat a patient because they're a criminal. That's not what they see. And so all of this is happening and we're victimizing these border towns, which most of them are not wealthy places. It victimizes the entire nation with the drugs that are being brought in by the cartels. And last but not least, many of the people that are being brought here, that are coming here and paying coyotes to bring them here, are victims themselves. We've told the stories over and over and over again. Um, I was with uh, the Pinal County Sheriff Lamb recently at an event, and he was talking about the border crisis. Now, Pinal County is not a border, technically is not a border county with Mexico. It borders tribal land. The Tohana Odom Nation borders Pinal County. The southern border of the tribal land borders Mexico and actually I think goes into Mexico. So technically it's not on the border with Mexico, but they are dealing with people that cross on the tribal land and into Pinal County all the time. And Sheriff Lamb was talking about taking a woman into custody and in her belongings. They found a packet of pills and they asked her what the pills were, not pill, multiple pills. They were morning after pills because not only did she expect she was going to be raped once, she expected to be raped on the journey multiple times. Now, I'm not saying that it happens every time to every person, but it happens. And we're, we're a part of this. The only people on this planet that are benefiting to any degree from what's happening are the cartels. And our federal government has let us down has let the world down. We should be doing a much better job than we're doing. And, I, you know, the warnings that are coming from the people that know this, know what's happening. Brandon Judd is talking about the ending of, of, of uh, Title 42 and what will happen next. Brandon Judd is the head of the Border Patrol Union. If you look at what's currently happening, it's extremely scary. We're fighting fronts that we've never seen before. Typically speaking, we've always fought fronts on, on two different locations. But right now, the entire border, the entire southwest border is busier than it's ever been. Um, we're looking at locations that just haven't been busy in the past, such as Big Bend, Deming, New Mexico. We're fighting fronts that we just don't have the resources to do it. And if Title 42 goes away, then those floodgates just completely and totally bust open and we'll be overwhelmed and we'll have less resources in the field. This is a scary situation. And when you look at the number of people that we're apprehending that have criminal records, it becomes even scarier. And those are the facts. And so when, you know, when the poll numbers for the president are dismal, and by the way, if you haven't seen recently, someone did a poll on uh, Donald Trump versus Joe Biden and Donald Trump versus Kamala, Vice President Harris. He trounces Vice President Harris right now in a poll on a head-to-head matchup for president by double digits, and he beats Biden by six or seven points. Um, you know, I, I don't even I don't even know that Donald Trump is going to run again. But when you you look at the of of bringing this administration into office and voting them in in this country with the expectation of being able to right the ship according to them, right the ship and what we've gotten. And things have gotten massively worse in every sector. 
But this border issue is not going away, and it's a national security issue, and nations that hate us know it. The, uh, the longer it goes on, the more empowered these cartels become with weaponry and money, and they are doing significant damage. And if we don't pay attention to this, it is going to be a huge crisis that's going to take many years to solve. And it's going to get more and more violent. There's no doubt about that. In a moment, we're going to talk about Russia. They say that they may scale back their maneuvers um, and warfare. We'll talk about that, whether that's true or not. And we'll preview a phone call with President Biden is going to have with President Zelensky. All that's coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. All eyes are on Ukraine for a number of reasons. Economically, we know that the world is going to pay a price for what's happening, especially Europeans are are very dependent on energy from Russian sources. So now the world is trying to scramble to help the Europeans kind of offset some of that. The U.S. included. We are going to be doing exporting of LNG, which is liquefied natural gas. And we will be sending that to kind of offset the huge amount they were getting from the Russians as we're not doing business with the Russians. Um, We know what's happened here with gas prices are going up. The world is going to see possibly a food shortage because I think 15%, I saw the statistic that said 15% of the world's calories come from wheat and about uh, a third of the world's wheat comes from Russia and Ukraine. So that is a big, that is going to take a big chunk out of what the world is doing. I've had questions about, you know, what do we do? Have we had a plan in place? And and I don't know. This you can't necessarily lay at the feet of Joe Biden completely. But I just wonder if we have people in the military who have war games in their mind and, and on paper and on the computer and they scenarios. And if these two na- nations go to war, which side do we take? If if another nation joins this one, what happens? So, you know, in real terms, if Russia invades Ukraine, where do we stand? If Belarus decides to join Russia and invade, what do we do? If this happens, if someone helps here, those scenarios are played over and over and over again. To make sure that no matter what happens in the world, we're prepared. If, God forbid, a head of state somewhere is assassinated and it's assassinated by a group from another country, um, considered an act of war, how do we intervene? What do we do? All those scenarios. I wonder domestically if those same kind of plans are being paid attention to. If something like this were to happen and the world's wheat crop were to be damaged like this, what's our response? planting season and do we have time to get some of those crops in the ground here on US soil or North America and 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 in places where we can grow and offset some of the damage that'll be done and I'll be honest I don't know the answer to that I don't know what the possibility is but when it comes to Russia and Ukraine, specifically when it comes to the war, we are watching human atrocities. We are watching people, millions of people displaced. And the world is watching what's happening. And most of the Western world sees it as this violation by Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin has deemed this to his people that they are freedom fighters, that they are trying to save the sovereignty of Russia because the Ukrainians were going to pair up, were going to join forces with NATO, and then NATO would be on the doorstep of Russia, and NATO would invade Russia, and Russia would be taken over. And in order to save the Russian people and Russian sovereignty, they had to do this. And that's part of the narrative. 
So when the president says some of the things he said, it's not helpful, I don't believe. But is this now starting to be a war that they can't win? And a lot of times I think we've all been in situations, you know, in our personal lives where we think, is this is this the hill I want to die on? And I know that's a horrible war analogy, but that literally is what the is this. Are we going to squander blood and treasure and gain nothing? That's got to be part of the conversation going on with leaders in Russia right now. They never expected this kind of resistance from the Ukrainians. Never. And neither did the rest of the world, for that matter. The world saw this as David and Goliath, and, and, and Goliath was going to stomp on David. And, and this, is, this, is, uh, this was a huge mismatch. But the Ukrainian people, led by their president, are saying, you know, um, we are not going to give up easily. There's a phone call today that is happening with um, the president of the United States and President Zelensky, and hopefully we'll hear more about it. Our president is, is scheduled to speak at 1030 this morning in just a few moments, and we're going to carry his, his comments live. We were told earlier that it was going to be something to do possibly with COVID, but maybe his call with President Zelensky. Have peace talks progressed so much inside the you know with between the russians and the ukrainians that now it's time to loop in the rest of the world the american president being one of them maybe that's maybe there's some light at the end of the tunnel at least that's what we're hoping for so i want you to hear a little bit of an abc report this is the preview of this phone call between presidents the wayne house says the two presidents will discuss u.s support for ukraine the conversation comes after the president said tuesday his administration will continue to provide the ukrainian military with defensive capabilities and that he's taking a weight and see approach to whether Russia will actually reduce its military forces and activity in and around the Ukrainian capital of Kiev. So we'll find out more. Possibly the president is scheduled to speak here in just a few moments. And and we're going to be with you until he speaks. But we're going to carry his comments live. If you have that KTAR news app downloaded, it will notify you when the president starts speaking so that you'll be able to hear it live right there on your device. Or you can download that app right now. Um, if the president isn't on time at 1030, coming up at 1035, we're going to talk about covid and a lawsuit. New numbers are in, but. Arizona has joined a lawsuit to end the mask mandates on the airlines, on trans- public transportation. We'll talk about that coming up in just a few moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. All right, President Biden scheduled to speak at 1030. We've not gotten word when he is going to speak, but when he does, we will bring it live to you. You'll hear the comments here on KTAR News, so stay close. Again, download the app, but I want to talk a little bit about COVID. New numbers come in on Wednesday. We do weekly numbers here in Arizona now at the Department of Health Services. We'll get to it in a moment, but the Arizona has is among 21 states. We have joined 20 other states in a lawsuit to end mask mandates on airplanes. Now, it's expected that the president's going to talk about COVID. Will part of that conversation be these mask mandates on airplanes it's it's uh i was on vacation at christmas time and i went home for 16 days i went back to florida for 16 days and i got to florida took my mask off and i didn't even think about it again until i was walking into the airport again and realized oh my gosh where's my i thought maybe i'd lost my mask and then i it bothered me a lot worse on the way home than it did on the way Heat way there because I had spent 16 days without a mask on. So now the one place you're still required, well, I shouldn't say that, uh, Phoenix Union High School District, school kids in Phoenix still have to wear a mask and on airplanes. 
And will they end it? So Dr. Richard Carmona, who is the chief advisor on COVID-19, former uh, U.S. Surgeon General, he is the chief advisor on COVID to the governor, was asked on Arizona's morning news about this uh, transportation mask mandate lawsuit. I'm in favor of the way that we have the CDC and most health departments have looked at this now, where transmissibility is low, then start freeing up some of those things that we do to prevent spread, like wearing a mask. So there's not a, a single answer that's going to cover everybody in the United States. But for the most part, you're seeing more and more communities are making those decisions based on transmissibility to stop wearing masks, but still encouraging people to wash hands and be careful. When you look at what's happening, it it is laughable how we've handled things. And it it is laughable. I I guess I shouldn't say laughable because there's nothing funny about it. Um, Deaths have started to drop off in the country. They're doing the same thing here in Arizona. We are at a 3% death rate compared to cases. Um, and I know it's it's the lagging statistics. So deaths this week are kind of reflective of weeks past with cases. But there were over 10,000 cases recorded this week, um, and it was over 161,000 tests. So the testing rate is below um, 10%. There were 508 hospitalizations. That's a 5% hospitalization rate. There were 385 deaths across the state of Arizona due to COVID-19 over the past week recorded. That represents 80 uh, the the uh, 65 plus age, age group represents 81 percent of those deaths. I want that to sink in 312 out of 385 deaths when it comes to the youngest among us, the ones that we are still masking up in schools, those kids 0.5 percent. There were two deaths, two. There has been a total of 65 deaths statewide in over two years of covid-19. 65. There have been over 20,000 people over the age of 65. So, again, all of this stuff, where does it come from? There's a report out now because of a Freedom of Information Act request that the guidances for masks and kids, the teachers unions, the AFT, the American Federation of Teachers, the NEA, the National Educators Association, they had big input with the Biden administration. I thought we were following the scientists. I thought this was about the CDC and they were following guidance, not asking the teachers unions for guidance. The reason why this is important in Arizona is because our teacher organization in Arizona, the ones of record, we don't have unions here. They call themselves a union, but they don't have a seat at the table like they want to. They're closely affiliated with the American Federation of Teachers. They are their leadership is involved in their 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 Zoom calls. And how do we handle this and protests and everything else that happened throughout the year? And it is overtly political. When we had Arizona schools closing down, when we had sick outs and all those other things happening, that was directly from the teacher organization and its memberships doing those things. Without a doubt, that's where it came from. So now here we have the Phoenix Union High School District, the youngest among us are the least likely to become severely ill from this. And to give you a comparison, we had 508 hospitalizations. 40 of them were people under the age of 20. 280 of them were people over the age of 65. Far and away, they are the lowest numbers in percentages and actual numbers in deaths and serious illness, without a doubt, by far of every demographic, and yet they are the ones we continue to restrict the most. And what we kept hearing for a long time was, well, when they go home and they can give it to somebody else, and this is an absurdity. 
and it is overtly political. I've said a hundred times, I love education. I hate the politics of education. And the more you see it, the uglier it gets. Because instead of people working together for what's best for kids, it becomes an overtly political power struggle. And, and instead of us focusing on what's best, we know that kids are far behind in reading. Kids are far behind in math. The youngest children who use not only their ears to learn to speak, they, learn, they watch and read lips. Can't do that because masks have been on. We know that uh, speech therapists, speech specialists, speech um, experts are seeing children at younger and younger ages that have speech deficiencies because of what's been going on. And yet none of that information, along with the fact that they are the lowest rate of serious illness or death by far, they haven't they're not taking that into consideration. We're waiting for we're waiting for uh, is the president taking the, the stage soon? Okay, we're we're awaiting President Biden. He's going to make comments we believe on COVID nineteen as well. So uh, we're awaiting to find out when the president's going to take the podium. And so what I'm going to do is I'm gonna I'm gonna break now so that we can uh, hopefully get that coming up here in just a couple of moments. So we'll get to this in just a couple of seconds. Is the president taking the podium? All right, let's Update, go to President uh, Biden. You all on where we stand on COVID nineteen. Because of the strategy we executed over the past year on vaccinations, testing, treatments, and more, we're now in a new moment in this pandemic. It does not mean that COVID-19 is over. It means that COVID-19 no longer controls our lives. That's what it means. Cases are ticking up as we thought they might. But now, thanks to the foundation we've laid, America has the tools to protect people, all people. And, you know, as we've done from day one, my administration is making it easier than ever for Americans to access these tools. Today, I'm announcing the launch of COVID.gov, COVID.gov, excuse me, a one-stop shop where anyone in America can find what they need to navigate the virus. Free vaccines and boosters, free at-home tests. High quality masks and uh, for the latest information about the level of COVID-19 spread in your community, you can get that immediately. Now, you'll also be able to find our new test to treat locations, which I announced in my State of the Union address. These are pharmacies and other places in your neighborhood where you can get tested. And if you're positive, you can get life saving treatments all in one stop. We've already stood up 2,000 test and treat sites, test and treat sites across the country. We're also nearly at, we have nearly 200 sites just to serve military families and veterans communities as well. We've done uh, what we've done throughout the pandemic. We've ensured these locations are the hardest hit, hardest to reach communities as well. The bottom line. No longer will Americans have to scour the Internet to find vaccines, treatments, tests or masks. It's all there. And just go visit COVID.gov, COVID.gov. And let me remind you, when I took office about 14 months ago, the pandemic was raging, the economy was reeling and the deficit was soaring. Most schools were closed. We didn't have enough vaccines. The unemployment claims were sky high. And then we got to work and we delivered enough vaccines for every American months ahead of schedule. Effective treatments, at-home tests that are free and accessible. Over 99% of our schools are open again. Businesses are open again. 
And because of how we responded, we created more jobs last year than ever before. 6.7 million jobs. And by the way, we did it while cutting the deficit. The largest one-year deficit reduction in American history. Say that again. The largest one-year deficit reduction in American history. But none of that happened by accident. We were able to do it because we coordinated across the government, partnered with state and local leaders, governors on both sides of the aisle, and the private sector to leverage every resource we had to fight against this virus. We left no stone unturned. And we were able to do it because Congress worked with us and provided us the necessary funding. But now, just as we've reached the critical turning point in this fight, Congress has to provide the funding America needs to continue to fight COVID-19. We're we're already seeing the consequences of congressional inaction. The monoclonal antibodies, take monoclonal antibodies, for example. They've helped save lives. This isn't partisan. It's medicine. But Congress hasn't provided enough money to keep purchasing these monoclonal uh, antibodies. We've had to cancel planned orders and cut the supply we're sending to the states. Without more funding, we'll start to run out of them by the end of May, the end of May. We've also had to scale back our plan to purchase more preventive therapies for Americans who are immunocompromised. Critical tools to protect the most vulnerable among us. Without more funding, we risk running out of the supply by this fall. The same is true of testing. It took months to ramp up our testing capacity. The Omicron, we saw how vital, and with Omicron, we saw how vital it was. And we have enough tests on hand to weather the surge. But without funding, we're not going to be able to sustain the testing capacity beyond the month of June. And if we fail to invest, we leave ourselves vulnerable if another wave of the virus hits. Look, on vaccines and most important tool in this fight, we're also running a risk. Yesterday, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, and the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC, authorized the fourth shot for those 50 years and older. We know boosters are critical to providing an additional level of protection. That's why I plan to get my second booster today, uh, right here after I'm done speaking. If you haven't gotten your first booster, please don't wait. Do it today. Those who are 50 and older, as well as those who are immunocompromised, can now get it, get even more protection than they have from the initial uh, first doses. We have enough supply to give booster shots to those newly eligible individuals. But if Congress fails to act, we won't have the supply we need this fall to ensure the shots are available free, easily accessible for all Americans. Even worse. If we need a different vaccine for the future to combat a new variant, we're not going to have enough money to purchase it. We cannot allow that to happen. Congress, we need to secure additional supply now. Now. We can't wait until we find ourselves in the midst of another surge to act. It'll be too late. And we also need this, this funding to continue our efforts to vaccinate the world with commitments we made. It's critical to our ability to protect against new variants. There's no wall you can build high enough to keep out a virus. Congress needs to act now, please. Let me close with this. I've worked so hard to get our lives. We've worked so hard to, we, all of us, have worked so hard to get our lives back. We're summoning every ounce of American resilience. 
pulled every lever of our government, called upon the goodness, decency, and patriotism of American people. Together, we turned an unthinkable pain into an extraordinary progress and purpose. Americans are back to living their lives again. We can't surrender that now. Congress, please act. You have to act immediately. The consequences of an action are severe. They'll only grow with time. But it doesn't have to be that way. We've proven what we can do when we work together. So I urge Democrats and Republicans to get this done with urgency. Let's stand united. Let's continue to pull together. Let's get this done. Thank you and God bless you all. And may God protect our troops. And I'm going to get my second booster shot. All right. You've been listening to President Biden make comments about COVID-19 and what we are doing next. I've talked about the fourth booster, talked about the economy and a lot of different things that are happening and have happened since he's taken office, which, again, we should get into some of those comments, I think. And maybe uh, and, and I'm sure there's going to be some checking done there if if uh, um, if you feel like we're better off. And I, and I don't want to get I don't want to get nitpicky in a time like this. The fact that I think the fact and the point of what the president was saying is that things are getting better, that we are seeing a virus that is moving in the direction we'd hope that it would move, which is it is becoming it is still very contagious, but it is a lot less severe when looking at what happened here. In Arizona, we were talking about this just a few moments ago, that there were over 10,000 cases of, of COVID-19 that were, uh, red, were registered over, over the week or that have been recorded, I should say, over the week. But there were over 161,000 um, tests that were done. So there was only a 6% positive testing rate for the, for the week. Those are great numbers. As far as hospital beds in Arizona go, 5% hospital bed usage with COVID patients and only 7% of ICU beds are being used by COVID patients. So we are seeing a dramatic improvement in the state of Arizona in serious illness and death, which is always good news. We've been talking about this. Now, there wasn't much said by the president about the about kids or about masks. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. If you're just jumping in, President Biden just spoke a few moments ago about COVID-19 and the direction that the nation is taking. He was talking about how things are getting better, that these variants are still very contagious, encouraging people to be careful. But we are seeing deaths and hospitalizations down, which is good news, just as they had expected. He said he wants Congress to start funding more funding for some of the uh, monoclonal antibodies and some of the treatments for this that he said we may run out of some of those antibodies as early as May if we aren't able to get the the supply replenished from uh, the um, from from the Congress has to give more money for all of this. I want you to hear uh, President Biden talking about this just a few moments ago. Those who are 50 and older, as well as those who are immunocompromised, can now get it, get even more protection than they have from the initial uh, first doses. We have enough supply to give booster shots to those newly eligible individuals. But if Congress fails to act, we won't have the supply we need this fall to ensure the shots are available free Easily accessible for all Americans. President also said that there is another booster shot available and recommended by the CDC, which would be a second booster for people over the age of 50. Now, I don't know how many people will will get those. Um, it, I guess it's going to be a question of is this going to be a yearly thing? And we're going to have to wait for more information. People are looking for more data on that as to whether or not they'll get the booster. What's, what's interesting is I got both doses of the shot. 
I then also got the booster. But I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, do I really need to go and get another booster this early after the last one I had? I understand the flu shot is once a year. I'm not someone that uh, is angry about that. I just don't know. I, and I've, if I'm questioning it, I know a lot of other people are. What we're going to do just after 11 o'clock is we're going to talk about the economy. The president touted the good things he's done in the economy. Well, we're going to talk about that economy, and we're going to find out if the American people believe the economy is that good. We'll do it next.